Welcome back to Colin Shots. If you're in the States, uh, happy Thanksgiving week. Um, pre-recording this because we've had some problems with, with uh, callers jumping on stage uninvited, so we're not going to do that this week. Uh, but I'm joined today by someone I've been trying to get on this pod basically since I started it, uh, draft expert and uh, um, uh, employee of Cerebro Sports, uh, doing some interesting things at the grassroots level, PD Webb. PD, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I wasn't aware that you had been trying to get me on. I simply was told to show up, and so I did. Uh, so, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm excited to get into some. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure we're going to stay very on topic this entire time and talk. You know, go in one straight line, and I'm excited to to see where it takes us. Yes, our conversations have always been completely linear, and this will be no exception. Um. As a jumping off point, I want to start with, I had a, I had an interesting conversation with an NBA assistant coach last week, and there was a little bit of an element of, of kids these days to it, but he was making the argument that essentially players in the NBA are less skilled now than they used to be because the game has become almost, this is my words, not him, almost mechanized, industrialized most players are put in a box and not allowed to do anything else. And that has stunted development. Um, and that reminds me of, of kind of a concept that you all, you, you talk about a lot called what you call Academy brain. So I just wanted to a, get your thoughts on, on sort of that, that, that theory about the NBA and then uh, talk a little bit about, you know, are our players today equipped to, to gain skills um, as, as they might be. Oh boy, we are getting into it. Um, <laughs> no, no warm up. Just no no just warm up. Ass. Love to see it. Um, so, uh, for those who may not be um, uh, familiar with my work, uh, this this concept is one that that I frequently deride uh, when covering grassroots basketball, um, and it may be the most obvious go- looking at the difference between grassroots and college ball uh, here in America, or just watching overseas games um, at a youth level. And uh, we, we call it Academy Brain, and it is players for whom they can't see the individual side of basketball. Their, their identities are totally subsumed in the team. So, like, they will run the system, period. Whatever they're told to do, they will do. The You will see this, like, occasionally on NBA teams. I think one of the more classic cases is Tomas Sadoransky. Um, a player who like every time he changed teams, like, Oh my God, we got like a bigger point guard. He can do all these things. And it just never seemed to click. He could never, you know, grow outside of his role. Um, and he's, he's a fine player, but it's just this idea of, you know, people who are, are locked into the team concept a little bit too much and, and struggle to freelance struggle to, um, be, be as much of a player in, in the more freewheeling moments of the game um, and seem to, to reattach themselves into, oh, let's run some offense or, you know, let's do exactly what's required. Um, and, and you see this a lot, you know, watching mid-level college basketball um, where players can, can get yanked for, you know, not running the right set or breaking things off. And they will often just see guys who uh, seem, seem as though they play basketball as though they were controlled, um, uh, you know, by a coach or a GM from the stands. So expanding that concept to, to kind of the, even the top level, is there anything to this, this, this argument that, you know, we have, uh, by system, systematizing NBA basketball so much, we've, we've stunted players from kind of reaching their full potential. Not all of them, obviously, you know, the, the stars are still allowed to, to express themselves, but, uh, is there anything to this that like the, the, the rank and file? aren't what they could be. I think that the answer is like that the rank and file are too much the rank and file. If this makes any kind of sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. That like, um, because I mean, one of the most like obvious component is that like players don't play pickup while they're developing. Like, uh, it, it was a foundational element of player development the last 30 years. And the, the last 10, um, youth sports have become so, uh, professionalized that, players are doing individual skills work playing with their grassroots team or playing with their high school team and pretty much year round. So in, in a, in a component that was, you know, a freelancing freewheeling, uh, you know, 
exploring the studio space environment, whether that's playing against guys who are older than you or just getting getting up and down, is essentially been phased out. And with that, you have people who are trying to buy into their role, who you know are putting all of their efforts towards them. Maybe a guy who defends and knocks down threes, and there is definitely an, an element of like they could be different, but I think it's more just doubling down on what seems to, you know, be the most direct pathway to the league, which is to do a job and do it well. Um, and that does make uh, less less multifaceted players, I would say, less less unique players, um, but certainly players that like are are much more capable at being exactly what you want them to be. Maybe not more, but definitely not less. It's it's like we've taken a look at the the development pipeline of U.S. soccer and said, you know what, I need some of that. Yeah, I I think that I think that there is is quite a bit of industrialization that really does make more uh, known outcomes, um, and you can just see it in players um, that are very good at doing expected things. So like uh, a thing that I was talking about, I was at a, uh, at a youth event this weekend and uh, nobody converted a three on two or like a, a two on one. They just every time made the most rational decision just didn't go particularly well. And to, you know, we were talking about like, well, we've seen like five of these blown today. What's, what's going on here? And like, there's just, less chance of that happening because there's just le- less random play happening in, in player development. And you just see that trickle up. You see that continue as, you know, if you're not playing pickup when you're 14, 15, 16, there certainly isn't as much of it happening for some guys. The first time that they, you know, that they've really played pickup is, is the summer runs. Um, and even those are a bit more structured. Um, it's not like guys are just open, um, which seems to be the thing that, that the assistant coaching question was kind of bemoaning, that there's just kind of a lack of hooping in, uh, and younger players, and that is having uh, unintended side effects of their development. That's that just that 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 seems so weird to me. Like I don't I I, I don't understand. That's like that's isn't that how we you know I, I maybe I'm going to kids these days, but that's that's certainly how I learned to play basketball. I imagine that's that's how you like not you know like I, I certainly learned from a structured setting, but I learned how to play and with an emphasis on, on, on play, not just in a standpoint of having fun, but a standpoint of kind of making decisions and, and learning how to do things and when to do things and why and what works and what doesn't like without like having the, the uh, you know, and, and screwing up and losing games and getting yelled at like by people who wanted to stay on the court. Like this was, these were all very important things. It, um, the delineation that, that I've made personally is that I learned how to play in instruction setting, but I learned how I played in unstructured settings, um, and sort of trying on new things. Um, I'm, I'm struck by a, a in this way, a story about Kate Cunningham growing up where his brothers would, or his brother would take him to, to pick up games and give him like little rules. Oh, you can only throw passes with your left hand or. You know, you have to you score every bucket this time for for these pickup games, and you know, it'd be a score to skill levels. But you'd have to problem solve for a totally unexpected problem. And I think that that plasticity about how you approach the game is the thing that that is a little bit missing. Where guys are three and D guys, or they are ball handlers, and there's just a a, a very structured sense of identity from a really young age about how players are expected to play, but maybe not as much expression in in the different ways they could present themselves. Is it it a reasonable way of putting it that we do a better job of, you know, giving players tools, but not the ability to choose which tool to use? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that it it would probably be, um, like there's sort of two different types of knowledge here. There's like the technical thing of like what you should do and the, the more feel side of like, okay, like sometimes, yeah, that's true, but however, what if, and, and sort of this more uh, instinct or insight driven, like individualized feel response. And I think that's the thing where like 
there's just a sense that of a lot of players kind of having like a block here feel for the game. They just sort of do a pretty good decision, but they rarely, you know, are really asking meaningful questions. They're just trying not to like not to screw up. Um, and this goes back to you know playing low stakes games and and playing in environments where you have to try different stuff to succeed. And uh, there's a very uh, income outcome sensibility about a lot of young younger players who are sort of just trying to who have never really been exposed to, to these alternate ways of, of development. That's I mean that's 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 very sad to me almost because that's like the you know that's the, the process of discovering like the game of basketball. Um so I guess I, I wanted to ask you that I'm glad you laid out the dichotomy between sort of the 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 sort of the pure muscle memory uh, kind of kind of quote unquote skills and then the the sort of the the feel type skills. Um, how do you think we've gotten better at like the, the you know with all the skills trainers and stuff like that? Is that something that has you know, improve that players are, are generally speaking, meaningfully better at, you know, the physical act of dribbling a basketball or of shooting a basketball. Yes. Um, I think that players broadly are more skilled than they have ever been. Um, but I'm not sure that those skills are meaningfully more important than they've ever been more people can have a nicer handle, but also less people have like a unique handle that works for them. Um, more players can, can throw a broad variety of passes, but less players can really suss out which type of guy is going to go for a pump fake in a, in a situation where he has two on the weak side where he's, you know, reading between the skip and the, and the baseline. Like those are the things that, that block training, you know, uh, one on zero or, or these like very, static environments that skills training is often in, not always, but often um, are very poor at these sort of like old man trick type of things. <laughs> like the, which, Paul which Pierce. Is, yeah. Well, just the, which is literally just feel stuff um, where like the, yes, the correct decision is to read between two, but how do you have the insight to actually do that? How do you know when, okay, this guy's a rookie. So if I stare over, you know, if I stare over and give like, a little bit of a pump fake. I know he's going to slide out of the way and I can just walk in for a layup. Those are things that, that come through the much looser repetitions. And those are, I think that's what, what your assistant coaches is, is discussing is that guys don't really have, they have a more broad technical knowledge, but they don't have the, the interior knowledge of like, uh, of just the, the time spent in trying stuff. I mean, it, it's it's cliche at this point in the season, but we're basically talking about James Wiseman versus Kevin Looney here, right? Yeah, I mean, Wiseman is like a really specific case. Um, I uh, like offhand would say that James Wiseman is probably what played like 120 basketball games in the past five years, right? Like uh, for for people who are more NBA focused, James Wiseman, I believe, lost two of his four high school years to to injuries or. Uh, or it might be one and a half, not not too full, like to, to injuries and and then investigations into uh, his move from one high school to another. So he's not just a person who's had a, a games deficit in college, but going back to high school. And so like it's there are times where he does the right thing, but that he's lacking the sort of feel for the moment or feel for the situation that makes it ultimately sort of, you know meaningless. It can kind of look right, but you can just feel like. You know when you're watching somebody sort of uh, almost do something right, and like you're like, yeah, we it, it looks good enough. It's not working for reasons you can't fully explain, and like that's what a lot of Wiseman is. Where like it's almost there, but it's, you know there's a, there's a little bit slice missing, and that's just the the feel and experience of just like he has not played as much basketball. And, like he is he is one of the least uh, or the most damaged games deficit damage players I've seen in my time doing this. It's it's almost an uncanny valley of this is this looks like yes, look, but it's just a little bit off and and my mind rejects it. Yeah, that's 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 very much what it is, and it's also there. I mean, there there are other players who are in slightly uh, different versions of this. Uh, I uh, was talking with um, 
a friend who who works as a scout for an NBA team, and, and we were talking about a player who you could tell had only played winning basketball his entire life. Um, and like we were talking about, like when do you when do you think they were the last time on a bad team? Not like bad because they were on it, but just like on a bad team. And it was just really clear they were always making like a winning focused decision. And, and we're like, yeah, if you like put him on a terrible team, like none of this would work. And he also wouldn't know what to do because he's never been a like in a I gotta go get fifty situation because he was always on you know a really good sneaker team and at a really good high school team. And those differing contexts all provide unique insights that that you know drive feel and development um, you know, because they're just all information sources. And for guys who are missing games or in you know one dimensional context, you can see that they're they just struggle to synthesize information, struggle to synthesize play styles or, 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 you know, game awareness states. And it leads you to these uncanny valleys. Like, okay, so there's something happening here. I don't know what it is, but it's very, it's, it's almost right, but also very not right. It's close enough to right that it's completely wrong. If you were more wrong, it would almost be like, yeah. Um, is this, is, on an individual player level, is this fixable? Like, is it by like at what age do we get to? It's like, well, no, you just don't know how to, you know, is it, is, you know, you, it's easiest to learn a new language, you know, when you're young. At a certain point, are you always going to speak with an accent? So, I mean, I, I'm in, in my analysis of Wiseman when he was a prospect, um, the thing that I harped on was that, like, yes, he has this game of deficit and any team that drafts him this is obviously before the injuries, needs to have a specific plan to catch up. Whether that is a practice style that just like, you know, sort of fast forwards the amount of, of weird situations he's in and just trying to throw as many different variables at him to try to catch him up on, on the game time lost, catch him up in terms of Chile games, and, and the injuries have obviously delayed this. But that also requires a huge investment. Like, it's obviously for a, a, a top three pick, that's that's an, an, a thing that can be done. But if you're, you know, a guy in, who's picked in the fifties or maybe not even picked at all, it's just going to be so much more difficult to catch up without going to the perfect environment. So somebody like Pascal Siakam, who um, had a, a similar sort of uncanny Valley uh, processing from a, a far different um, angle. He just hadn't played as much basketball um, and, and came to the game late he needed to go to a specific college environment, a specific draft environment to catch him up on his menace deficit and catch him up on, on, you know, how he wanted to approach the game or to, to be successful in the league. But he also had a, a natural benefit of just like he moves, uh, the, he moves like a person covered in butter. Um, <laughs> and I like, don't mean this as like slander. I mean, this is like, like watching, like he moves like a person who's just like been greased up and it, it just seems how, you know, it's, it's been very effective for him. But there needs to be a hook for any player who, need, you know, to, to catch up on this progression, whether it's Zach Levine, you know, being played in the point guard position to, to work on his processing and field things. Like whatever, whatever growth is necessary, there needs to be a hook for that growth to make sense. It's an interesting, an interesting you brought Zach Levine up because I, I, you know, the, him him getting drafted was pretty early and when i was when i was you know doing this and and his point guard minutes for minnesota were absolutely disastrous and his shooting guard minutes were tremendous and i think therein lies almost the problem at the nba level i mean it's a similar thing you talked about um the investment of a top 3 pick okay investment of a top 3 pick you can you can do some things with them, but you're, I, can you do those at the same time? Your the rest of your team is legitimately trying to win a, a title. I mean, I think that like you need to have organizational buy-in from everyone. I mean, the actual time allocation to, in like it's not college where you have strict rules about how much time can be spent on the floor, and there's not really a limit on how much money you can spend on you know uh, player development people or, or anything like that. So I'd like. I don't think from a resources point of view, the answer is necessarily like no, but like if the rest of your team is like awesome, it's hard for the, to give them like developmental minutes in an NBA setting. You'd almost want to like set up a soccer loan system where it's like, Hey, uh, y'all want to be bad. Uh, we need him to play 16 minutes of like NBA minutes. Theoretically. 
can we do that and then have to play for our G League team? And that's just not how the NBA works in structure, but that's probably like the midpoint that would like be very beneficial for him or, or players in this. So for example, his rookie year, uh, the interests would have aligned for James Wiseman to be, to actually be in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, and, and this is sort of the challenge with the injuries is like that whatever, whenever his time like would have worked in terms of, of, of the Warriors, he was hurt. Now he has an additional menace deficit and comes from even further. And there's just so much, it's so difficult to both get that investment, to get the time on court and to get the time on court to line up with what you need from the time on court. And now you're just in a, like a, a, a veritable no-win situation um, where that pressure is now redoubling onto him. And the the contrast, you would say that that you know Levine was it was like the, taking those lumps was largely successful in terms of his development. I would say very much so, yes. But it was also that like Levine was being told like the idea of the Levine at point guard minutes was not to make him a point guard. It was just to like to put him in the hyperbaric chamber of reps. Just like look, even if you're bad at this, it it doesn't matter. Like, because the goal here is reps. That way, when we play with shooting guard, you're a little bit better reading the second side of pick and rolls or whatever. Desmond, and, Bain, Desmond Bain playing the point in Summer League last year. Yeah. Where, like, with bigs, there's not, like, another way to play them. You can't be like, well, this doesn't matter if you're bad or not. Like, we're going to play you differently in the league. Like, that sort of applies to shooting, but it just doesn't have the same, uh, like, investment from a, a cultural perspective to be like, yeah, we let him shoot four threes a game or, or eight threes a game or whatever. So I think that like even for bigs, especially because like with bigs, you have to also worry about the defense side, which like being a defensive fulcrum is the hardest position in the NBA full stop. And to there's no way to to lighten that in the same way, lighten the the, the burden of development intellectually or, or emotionally. Or with Zach, it's like look if you're bad, we like, we're always going to move you back to the tail. Then you can't necessarily do the same for a five where you need to them to. <laughs> Develop technically, develop in terms of feel, and just develop in terms of of defensive. There's there's no uh, there, there there's no backstop if someone if someone's a five. There's no you can't you can't move them up uh, to a simpler position because like <laughs> they're they're already at the top of the positional scale. Correct, and like and there's also the non-transference of reps. Yeah, like like you you can't go from. Hey, you need to know where everyone is all the time. You make all the calls. You do all the communication. To like, yeah, you kick it in the corner sometimes, I guess. Like that's just. There have been people that have tried that, and it has just not gone yeah. particularly well. So from it sounds from what you're saying, it would almost be, and this is the the this is where you run into the problem of like the the sort of the the physique needed. It would almost be easier if you could you could get them some cheap reps at the four. A little bit, I mean, maybe a little bit like Cleveland's doing with, with Evan Mobley. Yeah, and and of course Mobley is, is uh, a, a far different in terms of just like right. his, <laughs> his own get down um, and and how well he processes. But it's also that like if somebody is behind on reps, you want to give them as many processing reps as possible. But you also can't play them at the four because they're not going to get them. But if you play them at the five and it goes poorly, you're kind of running out of land to play them period it's development of fives is one of those things that's like much more similar to quarterbacks where it's just like look this either works or it doesn't and like you guys need to make some calls because there's just not it is one of the few like zero sum positions developmentally how would you go about identifying like who is likely to has, or is, or is this just like you mentioned quarterbacks? It's like, Hey, you know, we, uh, we, we like this guy and things worked or they didn't. And then Josh Allen comes along and is, is we're all idiots and now he's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I, I can go out on a limb and say Victor Wembanyama is going to be good. Uh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's bold. Yeah. Hey, look, I've, as a draft guy, I do get to say that we have been here for a minute. You know, him him taking one-legged threes was not really on the scouting report two years ago. But, like, if, two years ago, you know, we had the conversation about him mobile, and I was like, yeah, Victor is considerably better at this thing defensively. And, and that's uh, 
staggering considering how good Mowgli is. Um, I think that like there are general things to look for. Um, a lot of it, you know, similar to to quarterbacks. Though I'm I'm not a football person um, uh, these days, but and so some of the uh, minutia of drafting them is going to be lost on, lost on me. But like having a firm understanding of your scheme, having a firm understanding of your personnel, and what like exactly you're asking for. You know, if you're a a, a team that has your bigs run around out there you know, a Miami of sorts, like you do have dudes that you just cannot invest in seriously with that particular defensive paradigm. And so I think that it's less like less of a, this guy has it, this guy doesn't. It's understanding like, look, that that may be a very fine prospect. Like that does not work for what we do and identifying the, the concomitant skills within that you believe you can develop within that archetype, within your expectations four or five. And considering that by the time the guy is ready, you probably have a, or, or there's a very decent chance we're running a new scheme anyway. So it's not your, it's, it's the classic draft thing of, of, you know, trying to hit a moving target from a swinging branch in a stiff breeze. Yeah. And this is, you know, uh, as much as, as like ownership is, is, isn't, uh, an advantage. So is just having people you know are not going to be fired, right? Like just having stability as a like it, the philosophical stability of an organization is valuable. Just because like you don't have to hedge your bets in terms of like, well, this guy can do a couple of different things. Who knows if that will be valuable to the next dude? We we know what a spo center is going to look like, so Miami can do some things. Yeah, so you don't have to be like, well, he's an eighty percent spo center, but we do need to not be a hundred percent spo. Just in case we move on, like there are orgs that are going to have to balance, you know, in, the, in this incoming draft beyond women, Yama, there's a number of interesting centers. Um, and you're going to have to have hard conversations about like, okay, so do we think that the scheme we currently run will be the scheme that we run with the same people running it in five years? And so it's not just like a moving target, um, you know, on in a stiff breeze swinging from a branch. It's like you're riding two horses at the same time and one of them may fall and die at any point. Right. So backing out from just centers and I, and I hadn't really considered this, that like, like the, the uniqueness of identifying, you know, like why is, you know, why is Rudy Gobert going 27th or, or whatever? Um, maybe, I mean, there were people who really liked him and, but there are also centers, many centers got picked ahead of him, but more broadly speaking, like it seems like the, the, if you're really trying to get, identify not just someone who can be a cog, but can be a star, can be a drink stirrer. Then identifying this level of feel, this level of processing, and even the ability to improve on that, that seems absolutely vital. So how do you do that? Can you do that? Is it possible to, I, to you know, from afar identify these things and not just the, the, the current presence of it, but the potential for more of it? Yeah, I think that this goes to, to my point and, and, uh, and my general outlook on on player identification and player development is that like seeing people in as many contexts as you can is extraordinarily important, and that there is meaningful data to be gathered even from the most unmeaningful of basketball. So, I um, I played in a Princeton scheme um, for for a while, and when I would go play pickup, I would run like Princeton stuff in pickup because it was just so hard coded into my head. It would be like kind of effective, but it also made like it just didn't look right in a pickup setting. Where are you going? Yeah, I'd just be like, "Why am I taking like I'm? Why am I taking this diagonal driving angle from the two guard slots to the two wing slots over and over to run a DHF with somebody who's not there?" And it took me a long time to learn how to play a different way. And like I had teammates who could play Princeton and then like go hoop, like team accent, you know, as as they wanted to. Um, you know, snaking pick and rolls, just things that weren't present in the, in the offensive scheme we ran. And to me, that was like staggering. I was like, oh no, I'm like very, like, I am, this is my play style. I do this when I play basketball. And whether it is a player playing with their high school, playing with their AAU team, playing pickup, playing in these camp settings, playing in, uh, like the NBA combine settings, like there is meaningful data on how players process, on how they, 
you know, handled their identity, how they handled their role and how much fungibility there is between those ideas. Um, like those are all meaningful data points. And I think that, that observing them in as many data points as possible is the best way to observe it, to see how much, how a player problem solves. Is it different when, you know, there's no help side, like I saw Cade play in Pangos and it was just like, he just made the right decision over and over again. He's making a bunch of like, he was, there were obviously different decisions because there's just not taggers in a pickup sense when you run pick and roll, but you could see that he was continually tinkering to find new ideas instead of just like in high school, he would just hit the same button over and over again to be like, yeah, you can't stop it. It doesn't matter. Get the, get the piece of candy by this every single time um, in, in, the, in that setting, because the other team is the other team is Academy brain to play it a, sing, a, a similar way every single time. Yeah. I mean, it, it had sort of a big 10, football sensibility where it's like, look, if they can't stop fullback dive, like we're going to run that 36 times. If, if you would like to stop that, like son, you're going to have to stop it and then we'll pick another play. Sure. Um, and so like, I think that's the general best identification policy is to, is to see how many different variables a player can arrive at. And this obviously applies to defense. It's just defense is a little bit more jargony and, and a bit more, uh, annoying of a tree to sort out as I've recently tried to do with this very large, no middle piece I wrote, um, which I do think I did a good job of making it not jargony and annoying. Um, if you're listening to this, I, I do recommend it. If you're not a reader, I did a stream with a friend, uh, that's available on YouTube. So shout do my, do my plugs in the middle. I'm a, I'm an inventor in the space, I guess. Um, but, uh, like these things, these, these abilities to be fungible, to watch a player, processing and, and sort of trying new things, trying new ideas, finding new solutions, especially failing with new solutions and seeing how they incorporate new information is like a thing where like Mobley season at USC, he did a lot of like, uh, I believe the technical term is weird stuff on offense. And it was positive. Cause like, I've just never seen him try some of this before. And instead of, you know, he was trying to expand his game. He was trying to see how much usage he could, handle. It was never, you know, he was never going to be like a 35 usage guy. He wasn't going to, you know, do a Kevin Porter, but you could see that there was an attempt at growth while also trying, you know, adapting to their defensive scheme, you know, while trying to play his brother on the floor because they were the four or five combo. And that sort of leads you to be like, okay, so this kid doesn't need the optimal situation where there are players who do really well. And uh, a lot of times I think our, some of our biggest draft misses um, was talking with, uh, on the stream uh, recently with, about how like people struggle to evaluate the Syracuse two, three zone. And there was a backlash against it that allowed people to miss on, on J Mac. who was like making real defensive plays, but because it was in the zone, people chalked it up to the zone instead of him making really like very real rotations, very real ground coverage that was outside of the script. Sure. Um, editing, um, your description of that makes it, it makes it, uh, I think I understand why draft Twitter was so infatuated with Poku. Um, if, if, if you want like a, a paragon of we'll try stuff, that seems to be kind of where it's at in the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, Poku took it to a different level where like you didn't, there was not like an input output thing where it was like, okay, you're seeing, you know, two hands high back, back pivot reverse fade. It was just like, okay, I'm going to throw a, behind the back through somebody else's legs to a cutter who doesn't see the ball. Why? Because I can. It's like, okay, but there's not like a read being made here. You just wanted to get, get do some vibes. And the answer was yes. Poku just wanted to do vibes, uh, which was awesome. But it also like wasn't, it, there was not a relational to what, to what was happening on the floor. He was just trying stuff to try stuff versus Mobley trying things to try to find new solutions or find uh, find a new way to expand his game. So Poku has gotten better at just trying weird stuff to try it. He's now a basketball player in the NBA, which is a huge. It's kind of kind of rain back. Like, uh, put, actually, no, some structure is good. Just a little bit of structure, please. Um, can you give some examples of players that that you thought like were kind of lacking in this sort of the the feel processing area who have improved markedly, or and and have they improved, or were you just wrong on you know? Uh, that evaluation. Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I would say that, like Paul George is one that like, I, I didn't like Paul George didn't have a good handle 
at Fresno State. And I just thought that like he was not reading defenders very well um, with the moves that he made as he as he started to develop his handle. Like I didn't see him having to for my money the largest single skill development of any player, um, which is like him not just being like a good dribbler, but like a world historical dribbler from a guy who like was in the Clay Thompson category as a prospect, um, especially in high school. Um, and I think that I. I thought he was just reading incorrectly and I, it was actually that he was, was just such a poor mover and that as, as he moved better, as he, as he developed his fluidity, it allowed the thing that I had been, been misattributing his field to just be like, yeah, the handle was busted. Um, and I think there was real development, obviously like was more of a like three and became a straight up primary ball handler uh, and primary decision maker. But that was definitely one where I mis misattributed what skill was lacking there. I thought it was two things, and it was really just it was just handle busted. So I guess if there's one more NBA guy I really want to talk about, and I think it was a player who, um, you know, was in the Wiseman class, but I, I don't want to say it was controversial, but was there was some skepticism about in this regard? It was Anthony Edwards. Um. I think it's fair to say he's been disappointing relative to expectations starting this season. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is, you know, he's talked about it is just, he's in a, a much weirder context. I mean, whatever else you want to say about, you know, the fit or anything else, like Gobert and towns is weird. And he seems like he hasn't been able to, to this point, hasn't been able to, to sort of parse his way through how he can best be effective there. Yeah. I mean, so far we're on the same page. Um, I'm a person who's like much lower on Anthony Edwards as a, uh, in terms of like top NBA rank or, or anything like that. I think that he's also like one of the things that's weird about the T wolves is you kind of have everybody who is what they are. Like cat is what he is now. Gobert is what he is. Dilo is what he is. And in theory, the person who could connect these disparate ideas into a more cohesive team would be Anthony Edwards developing as a playmaker. Anthony Edwards, you know, being more than a, a guy who uh, can detonate over the top or, or go crazy, but just as a, as a, not just a table setter, but like someone who can connect to the limitations of, of the, the three co-stars into a, a larger whole. And that's a really tough challenge for a young guy to make. Um, I, it's also like a thing that I, I was lower on just because like that's a really tough challenge for a young guy to make and win basketball games. So it's not just playing in a role that he's never played before. It's not just to, to connect these things. He also has to do all that stuff and try to deal with being on a team with expectations uh, of being a serious player in the uh, notoriously easy Western Conference. <laughs> It, and it's fair to say these there there were questions along this regard about him. I mean, I think yeah, I, I don't remember specifically, but I would be shocked if you you didn't strongly prefer Lamelo over Anthony Edwards at the time. Yes, um, I, I if, if I were recommending for teams, I would have also had Devin Vassell above, or I had Devin Vassell above um, Ant Man as well. Um, for, Interesting for the, for the role context. Interesting. Well, that that's that's something that 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 uh, before this season would have, would have raised some eyebrows and it actually probably given the way he started this season, it probably, I don't know if it, it doesn't, it might not be right, but it certainly is understandable. Yeah. And again, the ontology is difficult because who knows that Devin Vassell develops in the same directions or, or is given the same leeway and, you know, becomes the same player. But I just think that like Devin Vassell fits more of the idea of like a guy who is a, player who is able to connect these different dip, disparate styles like where Ant-Man is just like he is a scorer he is a shot maker he is a downhill player and you know the the pick and roll passing stuff like has been a reoccurring problem because he he's the guard of the two guards who can create advantage that's not how D'Lo generally works so if you're if you're able to force rotations like you're he is the sole person able to to make you know Gobert really function and that's that's been a struggle so I think that it's a mixture. It, it's it's right on the ley lines between 
um, you know, what a team desperately needs and a really difficult playmaking or a really difficult player development challenge to be made in a winning context, like not totally different than Wiseman where it's like, not just, you have to do this, but for this to work, you have to do this at like a NBA plus or plus plus level in this context, because we're trying to win basketball games. But getting back to what we said earlier, um, there's, there's sort of uh, a, a safety net for, even if it's not working great for the team, for the player to at least like not look quite as lost out there for someone who, you know, who's, who's smaller down the positional spectrum. Yeah, I I think that that's definitely true, though. I think that there has been whatever grace is is just given to, to the realities of the game for smaller guys. The fact that, like, a lot of the burden is going to fall on Ant-Man sort of does balance that out. Like, sure. because no one is expecting Dila to suddenly become quicker or go bare to, you know, add dynamism or Cad to be different than, than what he has been. Not that, these, not that this is a back-end compliment. It's just, like, these are all guys that are really codified in, in, in their approach to the game. And so, like, that does fall on a star young player to add a different dynamic which isn't available. Um, and I think that, like, this season has been a lot of people... Um, really, really expecting that leap and it not coming because it's not that he's a totally different player. It's just the the context around him has shifted so dramatically. And you kind of see the one of the concerns with him as a prospect was that he was a, seen as a bit more concrete of a guy. He's He was a guy who couldn't be a lot of different things. There's obviously a how good is he at what he does, but it wasn't a guy with who has... 10, 15 different permutations. It's kind of, this is what you're probably going to get with that in a range of outcomes. That can still be a very good player. I mean, I don't know yes. if you, you saw their game last time. I mean, like, he had a bad first half, and then the second half played about as well on both ends of the floor as I can ever remember him playing. So there's, it, it there, it can happen. It's just. Yeah, and, the, and this is, this is not a, like, he is a, bad players, just that this is a specific challenge for his player development, for his trajectory, and the team context he's found in, which is to require him to be much more multi-dimensional and much more connecting than has ever been asked of him before. He's been tasked with being a, a downhill offensive engine for his entire life until this moment, and this is the first real, like, hey, we would probably prefer you to score less. Uh, and, you know, drive advantage while, like, churning a defense. That's just not something that, that's been asked of him. And that's a, that's a difficult development to make while playing. With sure. Uh, la- last topic that and, – and, and, and give you a chance if there's anything that, that you want to hit. But um, for someone who is who is is sort of starting to understand these things about, about you know, the difference between kind of tools and, and, and ability – and ability to play basketball, the ability to make these micro decisions well. Um, what are some, do, do you have any sort of, you know, first level tips that you would give to people about things you look for either as positive or negative, um, you know, with, with some specificity, because again, it's, there's a little bit of, of, of learning to learning to crawl first for, for people who are, who are, you know, getting out of, well, he had a 44 inch vertical, so therefore he could, his defensive potential. Yeah, uh, the thing that I think uh, was one of the, the bigger um, moments for me in, in how I think about the game was was defining positive mistakes. So, like, situations where a turnover or, you know, a, a, a mislocated pass or, or whatever is a positive development because they're looking for something different. So, like... Patrick Williams is is currently having a a season of you know a little bit of up a little bit of down developmentally um, a little bit more up recently but the interact watching people watch him has been really fun because people are sort of celebrating even that he's making the right sorts of mistakes for what they wanted with you know it's it's driving and, and being really aggressive in in the mid range or you know watching for him specifically, like how he drives downhill with his shin angles. So like when he is more straight line to the rim, like it doesn't matter if, you know, he drives and gets blocked or on this particular possession, but it's that like, this is leading to a, a positive mistake. So when you're evaluating a player, uh, usually it'll be in a, a specific situation, like a snake dribble um, with, with um, 
help locked in or, or, you know, three on two fast breaks, um, which have recently been the bane of my existence, um, <laughs> is saying like, okay, so what would be a positive mistake for this player? But also recognizing that that's different for everybody. Like a, a positive mistake for, you know, Wiseman is going to be like trying to jump up and through people. Like it, there are, there are, uh, developmentally negative outcomes that may show up as positives on the score sheet, you know, catching the ball, being hesitant, maybe you make a nice move, but it's not the type of thing that will translate to an NBA game. Um, that's like, sure. It shows up as two points, but it's not, it, it would be better developmentally for him to catch the ball, power up through, you know, sky, the miss the dunk really badly, but like the, 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 the mindset of pos- of a positive mistake is going to carry over and, and be an indicator or signal of, you know, that future development potentially on the way. So like a, like something might be a, a player who, you know, is catching the ball in, in, on the wing, but is, is, is trying to execute a go and catch and maybe gets a little bit out of control as they get past the, the closing out defender and then sort of don't totally know what to do, but have executed, have, have known what they should be doing to churn the advantage, as you say, and then just have to learn how to, how to finish the play. To, to keep things going. Is that, is, is that, you know, a reasonable interpretation of, of what you're talking about? Yes. Well, but I'll add the layer of if that player's problem is that they like to catch and hold. Right. Which I think is, is, uh, I mean, I, I picked that one because I think a lot of, a lot of players, I think the, 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 the lack of sort of quota of, of point fiving is, is where, Kind of the 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 deficit of feel shows up most to me. Yeah, and uh, they're often overcompensating for not wanting to make a mistake. I mean, in the process, they're just they're not making mistakes. They're just also not doing anything good. Um, right. So you know the the idea of a like one of the I think concerns with this this idea of players who don't are not willing to try to move beyond themselves who you know play a. Uh, in soccer, the term would be negative football. Um, you know, the 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 that they play a ultra conservative, like they can't. We might not win, but we're not going to lose style. Um, and that, like having players, young players in this mindset, like the way to get them out is to be like, yes, there's a there's a mistake that bodes well developmentally. Identifying them and then kind of like celebrating them, or or you know showing them like, look, this eventually, if you keep doing this, will lead to positive results. That's a, that was a concept that uh, helped me, you know, in, in, in how I thought about the game and also a concept that I think made development a lot less linear instead of just like, why don't you do the good plays more and the bad plays less, <laughs> which like is not how this works, unfortunately. For sure. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything that, that we haven't talked about that you, you're, you're dying to get off your chest in this format? Um, I mean, I, I think that the, the, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it just cause that's where I've lived for a long time. Um, is, is how defensive schemes alter defensive playmaking. Um, and that like players, especially players, young players who've never been in a specific defensive scheme can struggle with, making the right read for the wrong system. So, you know, if they are used to a, say like Will Wade at LSU played this like really aggressive, like everybody knew exactly how many steps they were allowed to help. And like, you, if you were fast enough, you could max out and, you know, go for loose balls and, and using that as a, as a way of, of creating offense and, and trying to make teams become really passive to just not want to turn the ball over. If you're used to that, you know, uh, Tari Eason comes from, comes from that system. Like it can be really difficult to play a more conservative system because your instincts are screaming like, Hey, I can do these really cool things. Um, I, I think that that's a really subtype of feel, uh, a really important subtype of, of feel is, is knowing that like, sometimes you can make the right read. It's just that that's not the scheme you're running anymore. And young guys especially can struggle to internalize new systems, especially on an NBA court with new dimensions. So rotation distances are super different. The angles that they're asked to push people are super different. And seeing which players can come from a similar system that they ran before or struggle to adapt is, is really is really interesting to watch. Um, has, there, has there been anybody that you feel like has adapted to the NBA game 
faster than you thought defensively um, in, in seeing the rookies or young guys? I mean, Mobley is an obvious answer. I mean, just, you know, rookies in general are, are bad defensively. And I think for a lot of the reasons you're, you're mentioning and, and a guy who kind of stepped on the court and was, you know, not just competent, but good. Yeah. Um, uh, like I, I, I think that one that I'm interested in watching how it plays out is, is Sohan for, uh, the Spurs. Sure. Because he was so uniquely suited to playing no middle. Um, that I was worried that he wasn't going to be able to play make in the NBA. He was just going to scheme defend. And I think we've seen some of that play out, but he's just like, he's such a good uh, internalizer of scheme. And I'm, I'm interested to see if obviously they're trying him at point guard now a little bit or uh, affects somebody at point guard. I'm just interested to see if that level of defensive playmaking is a thing they also ask of him because that's very much not his wheelhouse as a, uh, make stuff happen the weak side. Trust my instincts, guy. That makes sense. Um, cool. Anything else you want to hit, or uh, you already did your plugs, so yeah, we don't. We, don't, we, we, uh, we got that out of the way. Plugs. Yeah, I um, you you claim to not remember me asking you on this pod when I when I first started it, but I did. Trust me. Um. But uh, I want to I want to thank you for for taking the time to make this happen in what is I'm sure a very busy week in sort of the 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 basketball scene with all the tournaments and the stuff going on now. So I really appreciate you coming on and as always, uh, great to chat with you about these things. I always feel like I learn a ton. Thank you for having me. It's um it's really good. I, I've I've honestly the early part of the year is one of my favorite ones. Just just uh like I mean I one of the pleasures of of doing the draft is you follow these kids for three years, they become NBA players. Then you watch other people learn their idiosyncrasies. Um, so you, you watch people, you know, be like, wow. So like Keegan just like mutilates bad defenses, huh? And, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of his thing. Like if you're, uh, if you're like the, you know, a three and four, like Keegan is just going to absolutely feast. And uh, it's, it's really fun to watch NBA people pick up on that really quickly and also come to adore it the same way that, you know, people in the, the draft or grassroots bids too. So, you know, I, I really appreciate doing this. Uh, and uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, we'll be back later this week with uh, more call-in shots. And um, have a happy 